Dr. Feelgood Sleeping on a concrete bench Can I get a witness? Miss South Carolina, 1975 Somebody stole your crown Life had come and gone Now you're mystified Standing with the best of us Who used to rule the world Welcome to the January 9th, 2022 edition of the Anderson Observer Podcast News from People You Trust. It has been another great week in Anderson. New Year's bringing in new plans, goals, resolutions, celebrations, a lot of cold weather, and a lot of stuff still hanging around from 2021. The area is planning a number of celebrations this week to honor the birthday of Martin Luther King Jr., And it's sad to say that so much of his dream remains unrealized here in America. To deal with this problem of the two Americas, we are seeking to make America one nation, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. I'm not sure Dr. King could even imagine the country we now live in, divided in ways that were unheard of even during his lifetime. Uh, We have made some progress. Some things are better, but many things still remain to be done, which is why it's important to continue the push to fulfill his goals and dreams. Anderson Mayor Terrence Roberts' annual Martin Luther King breakfast will be virtual again this year, of course, to protect folks from the surge in COVID-19. The event uh, will be live streamed on YouTube beginning at 9 a.m. Friday, and the keynote speaker is Bakari Sellers. And I'm glad the mayor has continued this tradition. It's an important thing for our community and important to continue the mission and message of Dr. King. Uh, It's good to see those event organizers also recognizing the seriousness of the current explosion of virus cases in the state and in the country and the county. Uh, Anderson County has posted more than 2,500 cases in the past week and hospitalizations have almost tripled over the past three weeks due to the virus. Schools have had more teachers and staff people out and students out and people quarantined. They've had to scramble around with teachers and classrooms to cover those that are out. And this past week, the Anderson County Council moved its regular meeting to the Anderson County Civic Center to allow for social distancing. Uh, Vice Council Chairman Brett Sanders, who has the virus now, was able to participate virtually. And Council re-elected Sanders and County Council Chairman Tommy Dunn to serve again as the leadership in 2022 for County Council. Council also gave initial approval to redistricting the voting districts for the county. They're still tinkering with that and working on it. So um, that's where that is. Uh, the redistricting covers all seven county council districts and affects about 14,805 citizens, roughly. It's about 7.3% of the county's population. A series of public meetings to will be held in the weeks ahead to let people see the map and um, continue before county council votes on it our second and third reading. And Anderson County Council Chairman John Wright recapped the meeting for the Anderson Observer News for People You Trust. I'm John Wright, Jr., councilman from uh, District 1, and uh, this is a recap of our January 4th meeting, first meeting of 2022. Uh, we covered a number of things this evening. Um, first and foremost, we did reelect our leadership uh, for councilman of county council. Uh, Mr. Tommy Dunn from District 5 will Uh, once again serve as chairman of county council and mr brett sanders will again serve as vice chairman mr sanders represents district four so that was good both of those were unanimous which i think just shows the confidence and the trust that uh, fellow council members have in both of those men and i know they'll continue to do a great job Um, we also had the um, 
third reading of the Equinox Mill project, which is approximately a $40 million capital investment. It's going to be a mixed-use project, which is going to really clean up that area along Jackson Street, which is a primary thoroughfare from 28 Bypass uh, into downtown in the city of Anderson, something that I'm really excited to watch transform because I think it's going to be a real game-changer for the gateway into downtown and also all of Anderson County. Um, we had first reading this evening of the redistricting of the of the maps um, for the different districts, um, and so that will, co will continue to garner public input put uh, through public meetings and public hearings and things of that nature as we finalize the redistricting of those of those maps for which area that each council member represents. Um, another thing that I think is really good is we unanimously approved to um, put AEDs into all the fire departments in Anderson County. So a huge public safety issue that I think is going to help us care for the citizens of Anderson County in a, in a big way. Um, we also uh, uh, voted to resurface three different roads uh, in the county, located in various parts of the county, different districts um, that, that needed it, and so that'll be very beneficial for the folks here. And another thing which I'm really excited about is, is we did uh, approve a bid tonight to light two of the new fields uh, here at the Anderson Civic Center, which I think is going to be tremendous and allow us to really continue to expand upon the recreational component that we have here at the Civic Center. So a really packed um, meeting and agenda and, and a great way to kick off 2022. County Council also honored Marty Knight, a uh, local karate legend who in five decades in the sport never lost an international match. He's known around the world as one of the karate greats. And Marty said he was really happy to be honored by his hometown. You have been honored internationally and nationally, and you just have, were honored for your craft. And now the local folks are honoring you too. How meaningful is it to be honored by your hometown folks and your local folks? This is one of the biggest honors you can get because at the level I got to compete at, there's always a running joke. You know you've made it when non-karate people recognize you for karate. So this is a big one for me. The hometown, my, home, my county I grew up in, it's a big one for me. And just for people who don't know, remind people how long you've been doing this here. Ooh. <laughs> I started karate in 1973. I was coming out of high school looking for a way to stay in shape. I was going to college on a track scholarship. Went to college, graduated from Anderson, graduated from Erskine, decided to go the karate route. Graduated on a Sunday, opened my karate school on a Tuesday, and that's all I've done ever since then. So I've been one of the fortunate ones. And you've been a world champion, and you just got your 10th degree black belt. Explain why that's so important. Because of the years I put in, we have written requirements. I've won national, international, world titles. I've traveled around. I've been in the magazines, been in the cover of magazines, taught students who've won titles. So it's an acclimation of everything I've done so far. It's a job well done thing in karate. And County Council passed a resolution to honor Star and Iva it's Water and Sewer District for being named the 2021 South Carolina Rural Water District of the Year. And here's what the folks who helped make that happen had to say. And Patrick Jackson and Mike Thomas were there to receive the award. And why is it important to be recognized for the county for the work y'all have to do? Because that, that, what y'all do is a, a very important job that a lot of people don't know is going on all the time. Yes, yeah, so, outside, out of mind, um, I tell you, um, there's a lot of utilities that work extremely hard. Uh, and it is thankless uh, in, in large part. Uh, but the Rural Water Association recognized us for uh, in, at their awards of excellence for, uh, for our efforts. And it's a team effort, staff, board, community. Uh, yeah, our um, employees, our staff have done an excellent job at um, 
seeing the needs of the community and going a little, little bit above and beyond just their jobs. They like to go a little extra, try and make sure uh, needs are taken care of. They're always looking at ways as far as expansion, um, taking care of things that's uh, way ahead of the curve uh, in the future. And, uh, so yeah, we, they do a great job, uh, well-deserved. Look, they're, they're to be short staff like they are, they do a great job of getting all the little job scripts taken care of. And y'all seen a lot of progress in y'all's years doing this, haven't you? Yes, yeah, changing. Not, not, it's different. Uh, so, uh, looking forward to a strong 2022. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but there's a lot of challenges coming. There's also a lot of opportunities coming, and I think they've have done a great job in the existing board at trying to make sure we're in the place we need to be when those opportunities come down the pike. So, yeah, absolutely. Also this week, the Anderson County Chamber held its annual legislative delegation breakfast, allowing representatives for our, our county at the State House to outline their priorities for the year ahead. You can view the complete meeting at the Anderson Observer. Um, they talked about education, infrastructure, taxes, and other items uh, on the top of most of their list. And legislative delegation chairman, South Carolina Representative Wes Cox, who saw some shifts in his district due to statewide redistricting this year, summarized some what it means to be head of the legislative delegation. Uh, people who don't, don't know what that means, uh, tell them what that means. So, so the legislative delegation is locally is in charge of appointing several folks to boards and commissions that, that do things around the county and regionally. So spearheading that process and making sure that, that folks know how to get involved with the community, but also making sure that we're choosing great quality folks and so we've got a process set up for that. So I'm kind of spearheading that as head of the legislative delegation. We're also in charge of certain state funds that are doled out locally and spent locally. So again, it really is a ceremonial position to an extent, but also I help coordinate things in the county between the legislative members and make sure that we are moving forward and that we're doing things that help benefit here at home. Are you optimistic about the year ahead? I am. Um, you know, normally we've gone into legislative sessions with some sort of crisis looming or, or something that's going on. Uh, right now, we don't, we don't necessarily have that, but now there are things that need to be worked on. And so I'm optimistic that we will work on several things that have been long-term problems that just have not been dealt with because we've spent so much energy on certain crises. Um, but I am optimistic for 2022. I think we've got a great year. We're going to look at tax reform. We're going to look at a lot of these issues that will really affect day-to-day -day individuals and businesses to ensure that South Carolina continues to be an amazing place to live, work, and play. You mentioned the homestead exemption. Is there a way to give me like the elevator pitch, the short version of what you're trying to do with the? Yeah, in, in South Carolina, you're once you reach 65, or if you're disabled, or you're legally blind, then you get a property tax break for your primary residence. And essentially, what happens is the first $50,000 of your home's assessed value is not taxed. But what the state does is we backfill that money to the county so to make up for that lost revenue. And we spend somewhere between 650 to $700 million a year sending that money back to the counties. What's happened over the last few years as home prices has risen, uh, gentrification has happened, seniors and others that have normally had very low taxes, they've been reassessed because the property values in the neighborhood go up, and so then they're hit with high tax bills. 
what this bill would do would it would freeze their tax liability and it would also freeze at once they're eligible for it and it would freeze the amount that the state sends back to the counties. So we'll continue to send that money, we just won't have an increased burden on the state budget for that and it'll freeze the assessment so that once that person has that tax break they can be guaranteed that their home taxes will remain um, low as long as they live there. And, and so it, it really tries to make a revenue neutral, equitable um, solution to a problem that has risen in the last several years. One of your other priorities you mentioned was making sure EMS is equitable around the state. Uh, what, what do you hope to do this year with that? Yeah, so EMS is, you know, every county provides EMS services, but every county is not required by law to provide EMS services. And so they can do it several different ways. You know, they can contract out with private companies, they can have their own EMS. This bill doesn't change how they do it. It just requires that a county has to provide EMS services. It makes that a required service that has to be provided by the county government. And so all 46 are doing it now, but the fear is some enterprising county somewhere could say, we're going to not do that. And so this would just codify it into law to ensure that that is essential service provided to the citizens of South Carolina by the local government. And remind, finally, remind people about the app you were talking about. So. Yeah. So, so the, um, the South Carolina legislature is incredibly accessible and from really what we call primary resource documents. We have a, we have a state house website that is, I'd put it up against anybody else's in the country. You can go, you can watch every meeting, you can watch every um, day that we're debating, you can look up the bills, you can see the fiscal impact statements. You get all the information that we have about those bills because it's all online and there's a great archives there. But we also have a South Carolina legislature app and you can download that app, you can, you can choose your representative to get notified um, so you'll know what bills we file, what we're doing. You can also follow certain committees. You can follow certain bills. So if you have a bill that you've asked your representative to introduce and he tells you the bill number, you can go in there and follow it. And so then when, um, at least on the House side, when um, that bill's set for a hearing, you will be able to go and look at that, and you can testify from home. You don't have to go to Columbia anymore because we allow you to testify through Microsoft Teams, and that information is all when they notify you about the bill. And so you can use that app to follow along what's going in Columbia, get in touch with your legislator, but really see what's going on in, in your government. I mean, you, this is your government, and we try to be as accessible as possible, and now we've put it on an app right there for your phone and your tablets, and it's just a, it's a great resource. It's the SC Legislature app or the website www.scstatehouse.gov. I also talked to Senator Mike Gambrell, who also saw his district lines move to cover all of Abbeville County and none of the Greenville County, so he had some shifts. But here are some of his priorities for the year. First of all, you mentioned uh, a number of things. Are you optimistic about the year ahead, Mike, coming in? To... I am. Uh, I think everybody's ready to get back. Uh, like as Richard touched on, we've had a successful year session last year. I think this year that we're going to get things done. Um, the biggest thing that, that uh, about getting things done this year is you better well have it done by the end of March because the House is up for re-election. Uh, their filing will be done by the end of March. Uh, I think you're going to see us, the Senate, hit the ground running on the things that we talked about, the certificate of need, the convention of states, and the medical marijuana was three of our things that uh, they want to try to get to pretty quick. Uh, and of course the budget. 
uh, you know, it's, it's the big thing that we do every year. And South Carolina's in a, in a very good physical spot. Uh, we have to balance our budget. We have to have an independent auditor actually make sure our budget is in balance before we can take the final vote on it. A lot of states don't do that and they're suffering the consequences for it. And that's what's helped us through the COVID situation that we've had to come back as strong as we have. Are, do you have anything in your mind, if the money is around to do with that non-reoccurring money, do you have any things on your agenda that you We've like? got some things. We've got to reach out to our small municipalities and our small, and I represent a rural district. Uh, we've got to step up to our rural parts of our state and bring them in line and bring them the advantages that some of the larger municipalities and the larger metropolitan areas are enjoying. Is broadband a piece of that? Broadband is a very big piece of it. I tell everybody, you know, I get that's the most calls I get is about broadband, and I tell everybody, well, don't feel bad because I don't have it in my house. Uh, you know, I, I, I chaired a subcommittee one time, and they were talking about 3G, 4G, and 5G, and I said, well, keep in mind, my house has no G. Uh, so, but you know, that that's the broadband issue is just as important as water and sewer used to be in electricity. Uh, now, because everything operates off the internet and on electronic devices. But you feel like it's coming? Oh yeah, I think so. I think so too. As, as uh, I reiterated in my uh, remarks, uh, Office of Regulatory Staff is in charge of that. Uh, the water and sewer part will be handled by the Rural Infrastructure Authority, and I'm talking about the ARPA money, the federal money that's coming down the pike for those things. And you know, we've got a good system in place with those two entities to handle that, to handle the application process, and I think that I've got great confidence in both of the folks that run that. South Carolina Representative Brian White is keen on a number of issues, including assuring that adequate fire protection is in place for uh, industry and all citizens, particularly with our high-tech industries here. And here's what uh, Representative White had to say about that. A couple quick things you mentioned I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. Uh, the the SE wins thing yes. and, and the pathway success. Tell me about why that's an important going into this year. Um, we're trying to make it permanent. Uh, and it's because it needs to be permanent. Essentially, it's a budget proviso that I put in some five or six years ago. And for the colleges to be able to um, continue the program and, and recruit folks into it, uh, it needs that stability. I mean, we while it's there, and it's been there for a number of years, it's very important, especially now with people trying to figure out how to get a skill, uh, what to do there. And it's very important, too, that it's permanent so we can start working on the lottery funding at that point, because that's the main key ingredient, is the affordability to go back. Um, if you're getting out of uh, high school and going to a technical college or go to a college, then you know as long as you take 12 credit hours, then you can go um, qualify for the lottery scholarship. If you get out of high school and go to Tri-County Tech to take truck driver training, there's nothing for you. It's 100% you. Uh, and that's not right. Uh, and that's what this does. It allows you to be able to do those things. It allows you to um, also work with the dual enrollment sector of it so you can come out with almost an associate's degree. It helps you pay for books. It does a lot of different things. So that's why it's important to have it. And we've nicknamed it SC Wins. It's currently called the Pathway Program. Uh, I think Tri-County Tech, uh, you see the iBest program at Tri-County Tech, that's it. That's what we're doing. Uh, it's basically giving folks a second chance to improve themselves with the, with the lottery dollars. It's essentially 
I look at it, the folks that are playing the lottery can't use the money. So let's give the folks that are playing the lottery the money. Um, what would you like to see, uh, if you could give them a list of things to do with the non-reoccurring funds, what would you like to see that money used for? Um, well, first and foremost, I spoke to it at the fire service. I mean, so you go out, uh, just take our community, Anderson County. We just had to go in and have a referendum to raise taxes on uh, for the fire service. Uh, the first one they had since 1983. The cost of the equipment uh, has more than quadrupled. Uh, it, so there's only the tax base that's there, or donations is what we're doing. The state really doesn't go in and, and do a lot of grants, the federal government does. So we're looking at trying to start a system so whenever you have, like Anderson County, is just robust development, whether it's uh, subdivisions or whether it's uh, manufacturing facilities or distribution centers, we're dependent upon that volunteer fire system to protect all that. Uh, and they're having to build a fire station. You know, if you need a truck, you can't just let it sit outside. You know, you're talking now a pumper truck's about a half a million dollars. I mean, you're not going to leave a half a million dollar piece of equipment that you're going to need. You don't know when you need it, but when you do need it, you need it to be operating properly and not be frozen and, and, and rusted up. So, you know, they can't use any of that type of money for to for build a station. Then you got to do the truck. So it's very expensive. So I want to see some of that non-recurring money, uh, as well as on insurance premiums, there's a premium tax. It currently goes to the general fund. Some of it's used for fire, but not much, I think 1%. Uh, so get more of that money into it to have a stable fund because, I mean, that is your property insurance, your fire protection, so we need to be using that money to protect for fires. Uh, so that's kind of where we're going. Uh, and like I said, you know, with electric vehicles, uh, we've got to have foam, we've got to have all this equipment to fight uh, that type of fire. Uh, we've got to train for that. Uh, we've got to have some of that money for those purposes uh, in South Carolina. Are you optimistic about the upcoming year? I am. Uh, I mean, you really never know. No one has a crystal ball what's going to happen. Uh, it is the, it is the General Assembly. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, I think all in all, I think it'll be a, a good year. Uh, we got a few things behind us now. Uh, there's some critical issues still out there, uh, but you still have to go through both bodies, and you know, timing is everything. So. The delegation is going to hold their first meeting of the year, Tuesday night, and the public is invited to that. You can find out more about that on the Anderson Observer podcast uh, and also on the Anderson Observer newspaper. The state, county, and local municipalities are all working to figure out the best way to spend the one-time COVID relief funds, and most are considering serious investment in infrastructure, sewer, broadband, bridges, and some other things. That seems wise. And as the year begins, affordable housing remains a challenge for officials. And as Anderson County continues to struggle to keep up with the rapid growth, the average one-bedroom apartment in Anderson is now over $1,000, meaning an hourly wage of about $20 per hour to be required for a single person to afford such a place. And these rents are continuing to rise. I did an informal survey last week of 10 apartment complexes around the city of Anderson and found few be- one-bedroom apartments available, and the prices are now well over $1,000. Uh, the price and availability for housing for those looking to purchase a home has also moved up significantly over the past three years. The average residential single-family house in Anderson County is now $367,000. And that's 72% of Andersonians own their own home or, or, or have a mortgage on a home, and 28% are renting. So uh, county council is in informal stages now on new restrictions 
uh, on how developers can change the nature of land and, and just go in and clear cut trees and knock all the hills down and all. They want to try to put an end to that and to further restrict the number of houses per acre to avoid the high density uh, housing and also to remove some of the additional burdens it puts on infrastructure. Our county schools are facing similar challenges, especially Anderson School District 1, where the growth is the most rapid and where new schools are going to be needed very soon to meet the growth and demands of the area. The district is pushing an impact fee for all new construction to help offset the cost of that growth, as well as to fund the new schools that are needed. Uh, $11,208 would be the fee for a single-family uh, house. A multifamily unit would be $7,779. That would just be a one-time fee and when they build it. And current residents of the district are, are expected to see a decrease in their tax millage rates once the impact fees are in place. Uh, Superintendent Robert, Robbie Benneker said that asking newcomers to share the cost of education is more than fair since for years the current residents have funded the schools that are already in place. Uh, a misinformation campaign, sadly, is already underway on social media making false claims about the impact fees and uh, its nature and its scope, and I hope you will... You know, dig a little deeper if you see somebody claiming they're going to, the county is trying to imp, in, institute some sort of fee countywide. That's not happening. It's in one district and has a very specific need. The Anderson Observer, News from People You Trust, broke this story weeks ago and will continue to monitor the progress so you can follow it there. Those impact fees are, are likely the only solid option for school districts facing massive growth in the year ahead. So stay tuned for those stories. One of the other challenges uh, of growth and is the staffing and training of law enforcement officers. The Anderson County Sheriff's Office is using a dual approach to training current officers and vetting potential officers with a virtual system that is amazingly realistic and some hands-on uh, setups that are really sets of various places such as homes, bars, restaurants, other things that they'll train people in. I was able to take part in a little small part of that training, which is the 360-degree virtual environment that requires some split-second decision-making, which would, in real-life situations, result in life or death of the officer or the other people. Operations, can, Operations Captain Wayne Mills, who spearheads the project, walked me through First that First of all, remind everybody who you are. Uh, Captain Wayne Mills, Captain over Special Operations. Tell me what we've got out here with this Vitra system that we're going to look at here in a minute. Okay, so this is our Vitra simulator. It is a 300-degree, 300, uh, 300 completely immersible simulations. Our officers can go one, two, or three at a time inside the simulation. Uh, they use everything that they would use uh, in a normal day. They use their firearms, their OC, taser, flashlights, that's all interactive inside the system. Uh, and we put them through uh, various thousands of different scenarios and uh, it has branching options, which is, uh, allows us to change the simulation based on the reaction of the officer. So the goal here is to put the officer inside the simulation. Um, and if we're gonna make mistakes, let's make them here. And what kind of things will they be simulating, just, just to kind of get people an idea? Okay, everything from active shooter, uh, mental illness, um, dealing with homeless, dealing with canines, um, car stops, vehicle searches, house arrest, you name it, they've got it. And it allows us to build our own. As of today, we are taking the classes today to learn to write our own programs. This program will allow us to go anywhere in the county. We can go to your house film your house, put it in a simulator. I guess people don't think about it, you know, law enforcement coming into this many situations <clears throat> that could happen. And these are just a few. There's others, obviously. Absolutely. That could be very dangerous to them. Well, one of the things that I, I really like about this is from the mental illness standpoint. Um, we do our best to run simulations to, to put our officers through and, and enhance that stress level. Um, 
but that's one that's really hard to, to simulate and it's almost a fine line that you don't want to go too far with that. Uh, but this is, a, this is a good way to be able to allow our officers to see that in here when maybe they haven't seen it before. And once again, if you're going to mess up, let's mess up here before you mess up and, and somebody actually gets hurt. Right. And how have the officers so far, I mean, y'all been running this, what, about a month now, a couple of months? Uh, about three months now. Three we've, months been, now. we've been wide open with it. Um, the feedback has been outstanding. Uh, I love to take their blood pressure, or excuse me, their BP before they go in and their heart rate when they come out. Uh, it's unreal. Uh, we've had some guys that's pegged over 150 after being inside of simulations. So, and they feel like this is really helpful. So Absolutely. The, uh, what, the feedback that we're getting, seeing these guys go through, the realistic, the realistic of what you see, the sight, sounds, short of the smells, we can almost recreate any environment. I can change the weather in here. Uh, based on the simulation that you're dealing with. Um, and that affects things that we have to make decisions on. Uh, if it's dark and raining and I can't see inside the car, I may be a little quicker to go to something else before I uh, just walk up in a daylight situation where I can see everything, including your hands and, and that kind of thing. So it allows us to change that. Low light is awesome. Uh, we're allowed to, at, here we are at 9.15 in the morning and I can make it two o'clock in the morning pitch black that only your flashlight will interact and that's the only things you can see, which is outstanding when it comes to showing the public, this is what we were seeing, which is kind of great. Uh, the de-escalation aspect of it has been outstanding. Um, being able to actually come in, you know as well as I do with Facebook and Instagram, people have forgotten how to communicate actually face-to-face. -face. You can't shoot a text to somebody on a traffic stop. Uh, the de-escalation platform has been outstanding because these kids are learning to actually talk to people. So, and. This is going to probably revolutionize the way training is done from now on, right, in law enforcement? Absolutely. Um, what we do here, and I'll show you later, when we built our crisis house, it's in the same building, and it's three-dimensional. So we bring you over here, put you through the simulations, put you through what you're going to go through, and then we take you 200 yards away and put you in a crisis house, and it's 3D dealing with real actors going hands-on. You were saying about the hiring? Uh, we've actually incorporated our, uh, our virtual system into our hiring process. Uh, officers that want to come in have kind of seen the TV version of what they think real-life police and law enforcement is and then we bring them in and put them into simulations and uh, get their heart rate up and see if this is something you really want to do. Can you do this? Can you engage a suspect or can you talk your way out of a situation? Can you communicate with someone? Um, and we've had people come in there and go like, you know what, this isn't exactly what I thought it was and maybe this ain't the career for me, which saves us tremendously amount because you're looking at $70,000 every time we hire somebody to get them through the academy, get them equipped, and a year later get them out on the street. So and get out and find money. out in a dangerous situation that's not for them. Absolutely, and that's, we don't want anybody getting killed because of a hesitation or, or if you got somebody just a little too high strung, you know, you start seeing those tendencies too and you realize, you know what, you don't have the temperament for law enforcement. Tell me one more time about the dispatch element that's going to be added. So we're currently, we're about to build a complete training dispatch module. Uh, so their entire system will be in here, computer screens, the whole nine yards. We will have them communicating with our officers because that's part of it. That's part of the scenarios and currently we don't have that. We don't have our officers asking for backup, getting people to you. Um, that's one of the parts of doing these high stress situations is getting your thought process back of, Okay, I've handled the situation, but it's not over. Now I got to get these people help. I got to get me help. I have to 
um, get the resources to the scene that we need. And that's why we're putting that in there. And we also want our dispatchers going through the same thing so they're seeing what the officers are going and kind of understanding when an officer is screaming on the radio and our dispatcher is going, why is this person screaming on the radio? Kind of give them an idea. Sheriff Chad McBride also said this kind of training will be a big part of the future of law enforcement. He was telling me, I've been doing this about three months now. That's right. And um, how, how have your uh, deputies responded and, and how is this training helping so far? Yeah, I think it's, uh, well, first of all, it's incredible training and it's just a great opportunity. We, you know, we're the only ones in the state that have anything, uh, especially this new. I think uh, Charleston may uh, have the same setup, but it's about a decade, maybe even 12 years old. So ours is very state of the art. Uh, as, as far as simulators go, it's extremely realistic as far as the, uh, the sounds and, uh, you know, the, the, just the visuals that you see. But uh, I think what's incredible about it is it, it gives, uh, especially the, the new officers as they're coming through, and even you know, those of us that have been doing it for a while, uh, opportunities to exercise the brain and having to make quick second decisions. You know, um, A lot hinges on having to make a split second decision when you're out there in the field, and you know, our, our folks have to do that every day. Uh, so there's, you always have to uh, train yourself, and you know, of course train for the worst, and, and hope for the best, but you can't get there unless you train. Uh, you know, just like in the military, you, you know, as they say, you, you fight how you train. And, uh, and of course, we, we certainly would rather de-escalate a situation uh, than to put force, you know, uh, you know, recently we've had some uh, situations where we've had to use lethal force. And of course, there's a lot of those type of simulations uh, within this program. And so it just, it's, it's a great opportunity especially for the for the new officers coming up that have probably had to make very few split-second decisions in their life. It gives them an opportunity to see what it's like and how uh, that that decision that's made on the fly could really affect the outcome of a situation. So uh, this is, uh, you know, as you as you can see and as, as you'll probably show in your video, how uh, it, nothing, nothing, um, can trade out for what happens in the real world, but this this simulator is is about as good as it gets. So it's very it's hard to describe if you hadn't stepped in there. I mean, it, yeah. it's very emotional. I mean, it's oh, yeah. very striking. Do you think this is yeah. the future of all training? For I think uh, I think this is part of the future. You know, future of training. I think that uh, I, I still think you know we we still have to go to the range. We have and we still have to get out there in our vehicles and do emergency vehicle operations training. Uh, there's still classroom stuff you know the laws are ever-changing uh, updates to laws and and uh, so you know there's always that classroom element that you, that you have to do and defensive tactics which is uh, more, more of a hand you know that's a very much hands-on uh, with an instructor and of course uh, uh, a lot of hand, you know learning hand-to-hand -hand tactics and stuff like that so but this is I think it's gonna be a very key element and also you can take this training and we can go to our live situational uh, house uh, crisis, crisis house. Thank you. So I've called it. I, I think I've called it something different every time. <laughs> Just start with go to our crisis house, and I can edit that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what's great is you can take this training and then take it uh, live into our crisis house with real live actors, uh, which are basically other officers that have volunteered in our training uh, unit that's in there, and 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 put them through a more real life scenario and having to deal with a real human being, of course, and, and 
you know, trying to get them in custody or defuse the situation, whatever it may be. So uh, I think this is cutting edge. Uh, there's, there's just so many great things about it. And, uh, and what's even, you know, for, for me, what's even better about it is, is we didn't have to spend hardly any taxpayer money on it. So uh, this was uh, mostly paid for by the drug dealers in our county that, you know, where we have uh, made those busts over the last several years. And, and so, you know, that's also a very positive thing. What's your experience been like in there? Uh, it's tense. It's, uh, so, you know, you go into it and you're like, eh, you know, this is a simulator and all that, but you, you really kind of get immersed in it. And uh, you're right, the emotions run high and everything, your adrenaline starts pumping, and uh, which is you know, part of the job. This is, this is a job that uh, you're going to get in situations very often where your adrenaline is, is pumping and, and uh, you know, that just changes you physically as you're trying to make those uh, decisions and split-second decisions. So for me personally, going in there, I've done several scenarios, and it is... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's on point. It's on point. And I think there's like over 60,000 scenarios. Uh, so and I'm sure Captain Mills has already explained that. But, uh, you know, being able to go in there and for the training officers to be able to see how the situation is going um, and, and be able to change with, without a blink of an eye. You, you can't even tell that that's is so fluid. And the officer may be doing a great job de-escalating the situation. Uh, or it could be where the officer's doing a great job and, and you're just not going to de-escalate a period. And so you have to take it to the next level. So it's just a very exciting uh, tool and I think it's going to be a lot of great training for years to come for our deputies. And some other news on Tuesday night, the Anderson County Museum is hosting Heritage and History. Uh, the focus will be on the Von Hasslin family. Um, and there are many contributions to our area. J.H. von Haslam was a German immigrant to the United States who created the famous 1897 map of Anderson County. This event is part of a several-month-long Anderson International Festival, which highlights German culture this year and German accomplishment in the county. So you can uh, check out their site on Facebook for more information about that. There will be events running through March. And, of course, downtown holiday ice continues on weekends at Carolina Wren Parks. And, boy, is it ice skating weather. They've had good crowds this year for the rink, and it's been fun to watch the kids and other folks down there. On Monday night, Anderson City Council will be looking at how to spend $14.5 million from the local recovery infrastructure funds. And the city is also going to move ahead on a shared kitchen, which is designed for uh, food industrial entrepreneurs. It's an industrial kitchen, and it will be paid for at least in part by funds from the Appalachian Regional Commission. You can check out the daily calendar on the Anderson Observer News and People You Trust website for other events and things going on in the week ahead. If your New Year's resolutions included doing more for the community, don't forget to check with one of our many organizations who are working with our friends, family, and neighbors to help those who might need a little extra help this year. 2022 year, 2022 is a good year, like any year, to start the habit of volunteering. One of my favorite quotes is, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago, the second best time is today. So if you're looking to do something to make the community a better place, today's the day. Well, that's it for this week's podcast. Join me next week for updates and news. But until then, like I said, get out and do something to make Anderson a better place. Happiness.
Yeah.